Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today we're here to talk about immigration policy and education and any of the studies that have been going on within the past year, especially emphasizing the one-year anniversary of the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, the DACA or DACA program, depending upon where you are in the country. And we're here with new HGSC faculty member Roberto Gonzalez to talk about his research on this field and why he's uh, why he's focused on this work. Welcome to the EdCast. Thank you. It's great to be here. So uh, I think for people who don't know about DACA, why don't you give us a brief little history about it? it, it it's We're celebrating a year anniversary right now. Uh, quick thumbnail. What What is it and, and why did it get founded? Sure. Basically, the, the, the program was started a year ago and it's essentially a change in the U.S. immigration enforcement policy. So uh, legislation known as the DREAM Act um, has been proposed for the last 11 years. Um, Basically, what what that is is a proposal to provide a pathway to legalization for young undocumented immigrants who've been in the country since childhood. Uh, Many people believe that the the DREAM Act should have passed a long time ago, but but it hasn't. Um, So with DACA... President Obama saw the opportunity to make a change in the enforcement policy and created this program, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. And essentially what that does is that um, young adults meeting a, a, a youth and young adults meeting a certain criteria um, can apply for a two-year stay of deportation and, uh, and work permits for two years. Um, they would then get a social security number and along with that, depending on the state where they live, uh, in-state tuition for college, driver's licenses, um, and, and other sorts of points of access. And, and your sort of role in this project was you were part of a, a, a mixed-method longitudinal study looking at the effectiveness of this, and it's a, a, a year later. That's right. I, I, I've got uh, funding from the MacArthur Foundation for a five-year longitudinal project. And so what we presented last week um, were pl- preliminary results um, from a, a, a national survey that we're, we're... Don't leave us hanging. What were the results? So, th- again, these results are preliminary, um, but and we started the survey on July 1, and in the six or seven weeks, um, almost 2,000 young adults have, have taken the survey. And so we presented findings on 1,402 young adults who have received DACA. So they've already received the benefits. And so we're finding really strong evidence that that DACA recipients are benefiting from increased access to the American dream. So of these 1,402 respondents from across the country, uh, 61% of them um, now have a new job. 61% of them have a driver's license. Uh, 54% of them now have a bank account. And 38% have obtained a credit card. Well, that's fantastic. And how, how does a lot of this translate to um, so the, the education field, this being an education podcast, knowing that all these great things are happening, driver's license, uh, bank accounts, new jobs, um, how does that translate to both improving the education field and also having their own educational attainment grow too? Yeah, that's a really good question. And so we know that access to to higher education is contingent upon a number of factors, and and for undocumented immigrant youth, cost is is a major factor. So this is a population that 
is excluded from federal federal financial aid and also excluded from most state aid. And so for young people who are part of families that, that uh, have, have, have trouble making ends meet, um, affording college is, is a very steep barrier. And so having deferred action, having the ability to, to, to take a job, um, to be able to, to drive to and from school, um, but also the ability to take a paid internship um, and to, um, to really have a job that matches educational um, preparation and credentials um, is, is really important for um, the, the educational trajectories of these young people. Professor Gonzalez, this is obviously your most recent research. That's uh, right. Uh, as a new faculty member of the Ed School, give us a brief little history of, of your own work. It, has it always been an immigration policy? And, and of all the things to study, why is this so uh, heartfelt for you? Yeah, that's a good question. So, you know, I, I guess in order to answer this question, I, I would think about um, my early years right after college. And so after college, for 10 years, I worked in the same community in Chicago. Uh, an immigrant community, largely Mexican, and I ran an after-school program um, for neighborhood youth. And so over the years, what we started noticing uh, was that a lot of our kids were going through school and into high school, and at around 15, 16, 17 years old, were realizing the limitations of their of their status. Um, they saw their friends and and peers getting first jobs, uh, getting driver's licenses, getting financial aid for college, starting careers, and, and, and they were staying stuck. Um, uh, many of these young people ended up um, leaving the school system because, of, because they were frustrated and they, they didn't see any other, um, they didn't see um, school as a means to, um, to, to, to better themselves, so any kind of means for any kind of upward mobility. A smaller percentage of those uh, was getting to the end of high school, wanting to go to college, and there was just very few answers within the community. Um, so fast forward a few years, and I find myself in graduate school in, in Southern California, and I'm meeting many young people with the same kinds of stories that come to the U.S. at six months old, two years old, five years old, had grown up side by side with American-born peers and, and friends, uh, had, accumulating, had accumulated Americanizing experiences, had grown up to Barney and the Power Rangers, dated, went to prom, all of the things that their friends were doing, but, but again, as their friends were moving forward, they stayed stuck. And so that started for me what's become a 10-year project. And I, I followed a group of young adults in, in Los Angeles um, uh, from, but between 2002 and, and 2012. And I, I've, I've looked at a group of, or two groups of differently achieving young, young adults and, and, and looked at the ways in which um, immigration status has, has really um, influenced the way they they make critical transitions through adolescence and young adulthood. Um, and, and I've also looked at the ways in which uh, the school system mediates some of those early transition periods. I think it's interesting. Uh, a lot of the listeners of our show are teachers and educators, people who like education reform, parents. 
And sometimes they separate immigration policy from the, the field of education, which is different than the field of finance, different than the field of business. And I just listening to you talk, it's all so interconnected. It's, it, it, it's very interconnected. And I think that, uh, especially with this population and, and, and with immigration reform in general, I think that people, um, most people that, that I talk to have somebody in their life, whether it's a, it's a, it's a student um, it's somebody from from somebody's community, somebody's church, or or or, or, or what have you, um, that is experiencing some issue with the immigration system. So it's a very it hits people on a very personal level, and I think that that while there's plenty to do in terms of kind of federal and even state legislation, that where it hits people the most is in their everyday lives, and so for young immigrant children. Um, all of them have teachers in their lives, um, coaches, other adults that uh, play very important roles. And the extent to which these young people have access early on um, has a great bearing on where they end up in the, along the educational pipeline. Yeah. We, we usually like to give our listeners homework. Once this uh, podcast ends, they, they shut it off and they, they can go do something now. So they, now they know about DACA. They know about... Uh, this this one-year study that's continuing. They know about the results from it. Um, what can they do as non-policymakers? They're not, maybe governors are listening, but most likely not. What can they do when this podcast ends to help push this, this notion of, of better immigration policy connected to education uh, right when this podcast ends? I think that what the, what the biggest thing that, that, that listeners can do is um, to think about the ways in which um, they have relationships with young people on the ground. And so at a community level, how can we think about expanding access for young people who don't have, have access to, to, to jobs, to, to, to higher education? When we consider that, that 5 to 10% of these young people um, actually go to college, um, what, what is left with the, the some 90 to 95% of them? And so how do we find ways at the community level to um, to ensure that they have healthy everyday lives. So how do we think about um, expanding a menu of legally permissible opportunities within, within communities um, through um, internship programs for kids, through opportunities to participate in community service, um, through job training programs, um, and then how do we um, uh, mobilize resources within the community through local chambers of commerce, local businesses, to provide private scholarship money for these kids. Last question. The results after one year must be pretty promising and favorable looking at the, the DREAM Act and DACA and everything. Um, at the end of this study, are you, are you hopeful? I am hopeful. I, I, I think that, that what we're seeing... Um, just with this kind of first cut of the data, and this is 2,000 young adults, um, is that overwhelmingly uh, these young people are, are benefiting from, from widened access. And I think that that's a, that's a positive sign. Uh, DACA is, is really only temporary and partial. And so without any major change in our immigration laws, without um, a pathway to legalization, uh, these young people that I've, I've been working with and, and, and studying over the last 20 years with, without this kind of path, um, these young people face 
um, untenable circumstances. They, 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 they face a road of uncertainty, um, and that's that's really um, that's really will really be conditioned by their ability to um, remain in this country and participate in a much fuller way. You probably will see a lot more about this in the news over the next few years. Roberto Gonzalez, thank you so much. And uh, to learn more about this study, go to our website, gsc.harvard.edu. It's the one of the main page stories on our website. Uh, Roberto, welcome to the Ed School, and uh, thanks so much for doing this great work. We look forward to following it. Thanks, Matt. My pleasure. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening. The Harvard Graduate School of Education, working at the nexus of practice, policy, and research.